In association with the Omniverse Comics Guide, this is the Cave of Solitude, your pop culture and comic book podcast coming to you from all over the world. I'm your host, Eric Anthony, and this is episode 310. We are back. It is nice to have you back on the show, Mr. J.M. DeMatteis. Uh, it was nice to have you for episode 300, but this is going to be about, I don't know what number it's going to be, maybe 310, but it's its a good one because we got some exciting news for you, and I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about it. Welcome back to the show. Uh, happy to be here. It's always fun to talk to you. You've been doing a lot of podcasts lately. Are you podcasted out or what? <laughs> By the end of this month, I will be. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. How, but you know what? It's all good. It's all good because it's in it's in the name of a good cause, you know. Yes. So you you teased about it the last time you were on, where we were diving deep into your Captain America run. But now we got some new stuff to announce and to talk about the Demultiverse. Am I saying it right? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. The Demultiverse. That's exciting. I always wondered in my head. I'm like, why hasn't Jim DeMatteis done like a Kickstarter or a creator own thing that, you know, he could just do whatever he wants. And well, there, I've done tons of creator own projects over the years. I've, you you have. Know, I've done many. You yeah. have. Yeah. It was it was more in the vein of like, I wonder if he'll do a Kickstarter where it's just going to be right. his own thing now because he, yeah. he could do it. He's got enough ideas. So what made it yeah. finally be the right time? Well, let's, let's go back to your initial question while you're wondering why I never did it before is because yeah. I've thought about it many times because... I'm always looking for venues for the original stuff because I've always got original stuff that I want to get out there. Um, and Kickstarter just seemed like, it just seemed like so much work. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, oh my God, I, you know, it's like, I don't want the, I don't want the responsibility. I like, I want to write the stories and work with the artists and, you know, I'll do my little, I, I you know, I can tweet about this and that, but I, I just, I can't handle the whole thing by myself. It just seemed like too much. It does, and, and and it is. It's a lot of work, even even with a partner in this, a partners in this. You know, it's a lot of work, but it's also very exhilarating. So so basically, what happened was, uh, to make a, a, a very long story short, uh, I have a friend named David Baldy. I met David mm, a couple of years ago. He took one of my writing classes. He's uh, he's a writer and a producer with about twenty years of experience in, in working in TV. Took my class. We became friendly. We got to talking, talking about the various ideas I have floating around. And at one point, he he offered to run a Kickstarter for me. Hmm. And I was like, "Oh, really? Oh, you you would you would like take care of that stuff that I don't want to do, <laughs> and I can focus on the stuff that I want to do? Well, that's fantastic." And we started talking about ideas. I said, "Well, here's this idea. Here's this idea." And we by the time we got to like four ideas, uh, David said, "Let's do all four. Let's do essentially four number ones, and they're all they're all different stories and different genres, different tones, different styles. Yeah, uh, with different obviously different artists that have each one has a very unique and different art style. So they're all each one is really in its own universe, which is why it becomes a multiverse. You know, right. um, which we you know started with that phrase kind of half joking, and then we kind of went that's kind of a cool phrase. Let's use that. You know. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and so one thing led to another, and and here we are. You know, we went out. And we uh, you know I found these wonderful artists, four of my favorite artists to work with on this. And now we launched uh, October 
11th at noon Eastern on Kickstarter. And the books will also be available because what's happened is that that this imprint has grown around these four books, Spellbound Comics. So you can you can support us on Kickstarter and get all the, the bells and whistles and rewards and all that. Or if you don't like Kickstarter, you just want to buy the books, you can go to spellboundcomics.com and get it there. So it's 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 kind of ballooned into this massive undertaking. And it's very exciting. And uh, and I'm I'm delighted with the whole thing, and really I couldn't have done it without uh, without David. There's no way I could have done it without David. Yeah, and I think the the excitement that you have for it, it's I think that's more than anything the right time is when you something that is from like gestating as an idea, and then you take it to okay, let's do a Kickstarter. But now you to imprint in and of itself, it just it became what it needed to become for it to yes. work. Yes. Yeah. It's sort of, it's it's it, it is. It's it's sort of like, you know, when, when the universe wants something to happen, it, it just it just happens and you you kind of grab on for dear life and go with it, you know? You you have to go with the flow of that thing. And this sort of it's like it came out, you know, this discussion with David kind of came out of nowhere and just ballooned into this wonderful, wonderful project. And I'm really, really excited about it. It's probably, you know, it's one of the most exciting things I've, I've ever been involved in in my whole career. Really? That's great. To, to yeah. know, you've had an extensive career, like your longevity. Well, to get, to, to get these four ideas out at once, yeah. you know, yeah. is, is really, really great. And they will be available as four individual comics. Each one also will have an alternate cover by a very big name comic book artist. Um, and then they'll also be available in, in a hundred plus page trade paperback with all kinds of extras and bells and whistles there. I'm gonna write I'm gonna write an introduction for each of the stories. Tom DeFalco is writing a foreword. Oh, we're gonna great. have we're gonna have art and scripts and all kinds of fun things in the back. You know, it's gonna be a really nice package. Yeah, that's exciting. So how long were these ideas gestating in your mind as far as the because they're they seem very well flushed out and your connection with characters and coming up with world building is very different i think maybe it's the same as other artists but i think yours is unique how long were you spending time with these characters before that you know you put them down i've seen over the course of my career so many ideas where i i can't you know sometimes you come up with an idea you, you you pitch it to somebody bang and you sell it immediately and then i have other other projects that have sat around well they didn't sit around but but it's taken 10 15 in one case it was 25 years before i got that thing out there in the form that it needed to be and you learn to trust the process and the time you know mm -hmm. that it takes um so all of these have been around for a while um the first one, which is called Any Man, the basic concept I had back in like 2012, it was only about a year and a half ago, two years ago, that I took that basic concept that has been cooking in the back of my brain and fleshed it out into this massive story that basically takes place over the course of 50 years. Uh, shall, we, shall we talk about each one? I'll give you the premise. And we'll, yeah, yeah, let's get right you into can ask, Man. You can Go ask ahead. whatever you want. So, so you know, Any Man started with a one-liner in my head, but I don't want to tell you the one-liner because that gives away a really important part of the story. Okay. Okay? okay. So I'll give you the setup. It's 1969, and in Times Square, this portal opens, and through this portal comes this being who says he has come from millions of years in the past from this ancient civilization, kind of an Atlantean kind of civilization. It's not, it's not called Atlantis, I, uh, it, but it's, it's something like that. This ancient civilization, a perfect world where something went very, very wrong. Their hubris got the best of them and civilization collapsed. He has now come into the late 60s to, to the crisis point of the modern world to help humanity avoid the fate 
that his civilization faced. He becomes any man, the global hero, uh, adored and looked up to, a, a source of inspiration across the globe. And what we find out, of course, is that this entire story that we've been fed about who he is and where he comes from is a lie. So who is he really? Who created him? Where did he come from? Uh, that's, that's part of the mystery of the story that unfolds in the first issue. But the cool thing about it, too, is that it, it, the, these stories will jump back and forth in time through that 50-year span from 1969 to about 2019. Okay. And so I will get to play in a very big sandbox with these stories. You know, it's very exciting to get the first issue out. But yes. in my head, I know what the rest of the miniseries is okay. and maybe the miniseries after that, you know? Okay. Because they're, they're all, all of these are really, really big, big stories. And okay. I have to mention that the art uh, is is done by uh, David Baldion, who I worked with on the Ben Riley Spider-Man series for Marvel. Very nice. Some of the, some of the best work uh, he's ever done, some of, some of the very best work he's ever done. And, um, and it's just, it's just very exciting. It's just very, very exciting. That's what I was going to actually going to ask you uh, in a broader sense, but for these characters that you have, how much of their story do you know? Because some writers, I remember Mark <sighs> Wade having mentioned that sometimes he writes himself into a, a problem that he doesn't really know what it's a cliffhanger for him too. So whatever he writes, he'll be as surprised as the reader. So in this case, yes, uh, and, I, and I do that as well. Yeah. But what you work with is you work with a framework. Right. You know what I'm saying? So I have, it's like tent poles. You know, you have these tent poles set up and they're going like three miles in that direction. But what you really hope is once your story starts galloping off, it's going to knock over half those tent poles and then take you off in a direction that you didn't expect. You, you know, sometimes I've, I've worked with ideas that I've had um, for years and I thought I knew them inside and out. But when you sit down and you actually start to write these ideas... The story takes over. And just what, what Mark said, you know, when the story takes over, it surprises you and you get yourself into places that you never expected to be. And that, to me, is the great fun of, of, of writing, you know, is, is that you want to be you want to be surprised by your own story, because if right. you're going to be surprised by your own story, then you know your readers are going to be surprised. So I hope that no matter how firmly I have these stakes planted in the ground, that many of them, if not most of them, are going to get knocked over as the story erupts and goes off in its own way. Right. So it's almost like knowing the the big points of a person's life, and then the more you get in, into their life, you're like, oh, he had this habit, or they enjoyed right. this right. food, and I didn't know that. I just knew that they lived here, they became a president, this happened to them. Like the, the highlight reel. But when you tell the story, it's like there's a reason why they became that. Right. And sometimes, though, even the part where he becomes president changes. You right. know what I mean? It's like you think he's going to be president and it turns out he's not. I also want to mention that we have a, a colorist on any man named Arthur Hesley who is, is, is uh, new to me before we got him on this project. And he is just doing uh, sensational work on this. And he's also coloring uh, Layla in the Lands of After. So, um, if you want to jump over to Layla, that's a perfect transition. Sure, let's let's go over okay. to it. All right. So Layla is another one. I, I probably had this idea about twelve years ago, and the first person I thought of to do it with me was uh, Sean McManus. And Sean and I have like almost had this project off the ground a couple of times, you know. And it's just the nature of the freelance life. Things happen, and you think you think you're all set, and something falls apart, and it doesn't work. Um, 
But you know, Sean and I worked together on Doctor Fate at DC years ago. One of my favorite right. runs that I've ever done. I really hope they collect that. I really. Yeah, I, I want, yeah. It's only been what thirty years. You think they could get around to doing that? Yeah. Um, loved working with Sean, and he's just—he's one of those artists that just keeps getting better and better and better. And when it comes to worlds of fantasy, and this is an all-out sort of all-ages fantasy, uh, nobody can build fantastic worlds better than Sean can. So here's the story of Layla. Starts in 1995, and there's a reason why I said it in the past. Uh, Layla is uh, 13 years old. She's on her bike coming home from her friend's house after they've uh, they've been studying and they had dinner, and she's going back home. And it's it's a breezy October night, like this time of year. She's going down down a hill, and she's suddenly swept up in this incredible light. And the next thing she knows, her bicycle is falling away. She's swept through the air. And she wakes up and finds herself in this Oz-like Neverland, Wonderland place with 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 trees that read your mind and fish that sing and 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 and, and she's just completely astonished. Until along comes this cat that seems very familiar, and she realizes this is her cat, her dead cat that died like you know five years ago, and she's dead too. And that this is not Oz or Wonderland. This is the afterlife. And and so Layla and her cat and, and her grandfather, who's also there in the afterlife, and some new characters uh, go off together because Layla decides, I'm only 13 years old. I don't want to be dead. And there's got to be a way for me to get back. And so it becomes her journey through the lands of after. And they are lands, plural, because my take on it is that we all get the heaven we project that the land, that the afterlife is created out of out of imagination and everyone's vision of an afterlife is different so if you want angels and harps you'll get angels and harps if you believe in hell you'll create hell out of your own out of your own pain and fear mm-hmm. if you know if if heaven for you is you're 10 years old again playing stickball with your friends in the street you'll get that and then there are of course worlds beyond our own limited perception of what the afterlife is so when they go on their journey it's not just through one place it's through many places as she goes and and, and seeks a way to get back home it's a really cool story and, and let me just say the reason why I said it in 1995 is because I have a plan in my head. This is the first five-issue series for Layla. But I have, an idea, I have an idea to follow her through her entire life, follow her into adulthood and into old age. And there are three separate journeys that she takes to the lands of after and all that time. That's but our first, our first miniseries is about 13-year-old Layla and her, and her journey to the afterlife. That's very Well, the way you've described the lands of after – it's your own sort of Oz or Wonderland, which in many ways, those could have been metaphors for either an afterlife or some type of a, an enlightenment, like an acid trip or whatever it was with the case of Alice in Wonderland, right? So you, it right. seems like right. this is your way of playing in a world that you can create. Exactly. And you know, you, what you were saying about those worlds could be that way. One of the, one of the places this idea came from, I love Frank Frank Baum's Owls Owls. I'm not speaking today. <laughs> L. Frank Baum's Oz books. Um, I, I adore them. I read them to both my kids from beginning to end. All of this little big series. I don't know if you ever read the Oz books, but there's a lot of them. He wrote like I think he wrote 16 of them or something crazy like that. Um, so it's not just the first Wizard of Oz book. And uh, I also, of course, love that movie, the classic Judy Garland 1939 movie. But even as a kid. 
the thing that always bugged me about that movie is you get to the end of the movie and Dorothy wakes up and everyone's all gathered around and they basically said, you had a dream yeah. that wasn't real. And I always hated that. And I was watching it one day and I thought, wait a minute, what happens? She gets, during this tornado, she gets smashed in the head with this, with this window frame that comes off, gets knocked to the ground. I said, oh, she had a near-death experience. Yeah. And that's what made me think. So Dorothy left her body and, and went on this journey, essentially through the afterlife. And I thought, well, let's do a story like that. Let's do it. And plus, I've always been really, really, as we all are, I think if you're alive, you ponder what's next. You have to. It's just the nature of the beast. Yeah. Um, and I've read a lot of things from a lot of different spiritual and mystical traditions about people's visions of the afterlife. And then you hear these stories from people who have had near-death experiences, and they come back and they say, well, this is what it was like, as if they are the foremost authority in what happens. And the other thing I think about this, and, and I think you will especially appreciate this, someone coming back and telling us their experiences in the afterlife. Well, it's like, what if there's an alien? He wants to know what, what's life on Earth like? So he gets a call from somebody living in the slums of Mumbai. Mm. I live under a piece of tin. I have no money. I scrounge for food. Life is struggle. That's life on earth. Then he gets a call from Bill Gates. <laughs> I got billions of dollars. I'm the, one of the richest men on earth. I have a private plane. I have 20 homes. Oh, that must be life on earth. Then he gets a call from you. And you tell him, you know what I mean? So... I th this idea that you know everybody's afterlife is a different vision of that place got me thinking about this idea of of the the variety of afterlives that are out there, and that really fits in with some of the things that I've read as well. So you know, there's so much to play with here. It's so rich, and it you know it could go on forever. And I like I said in my head, ideally. I see three five-issue miniseries following Layla through her whole her whole life. But right now we want to focus on getting this one done, obviously. Yeah. I was going to ask the the extent of a series where that you had to follow or were these going to be complete stories, like one issue, that's what you need to know about who the character is. And if you guys like it, we will continue or you have to come back to see how this ends. I wasn't yeah, you sure. Have to, yeah, you have to come back to see how it ends because all of them, they're like TV pilots. And the, the point of a TV pilot is like, tune in next week to see where this goes, you know? Right. So they're all to be continued. I hope that they're satisfying reads on their own, but they're just the first chapter in massive sagas. And something I didn't mention before we get on to the next book is everyone who supports this by either buying all four issues uh, of the individual books or the Demultiverse Collected Edition gets to vote on which of these books will be the first to complete this, to go to series. Ooh, that's tough. So that'll be really, really fun. Our plan is to complete them all. But financially, you know, the, the next step is to complete one of them. Unless, of course, everybody votes and says we want all four of them, and then we'll do chapter two of all four and do the same thing all over again, you know, move it ahead that way. But I love the idea that, you know, one of the great things about Kickstarter is that there's a wall between creator and audience that just dissolves. Yes. And this, this invites them in even more. You vote. Is it Layla that you like the best? Is it any man? Is it wisdom? Tell me, tell us which one you like the best, or if you like all four of them the same, and we're going to listen to you and move forward from there. So they're, they're essentially determining the next step in, in, in the, in the course of my career and the career of spellbound comics. Yeah. And, and with Kickstarter, like that, like you said, that veil between the, the creators or the, the product that you end up getting when you help fund it, you actually see the number jump with whatever you contributed. 
Like you right. see the gauge move with your involvement. Whereas with other stuff, you don't really know those numbers. You don't know how much of a difference it made if you got it secondhand from Amazon, from your bookstore. You don't know. So with right. this, you right. know it's like right. they know my name supported this. I was one of the thousand. It's, it's, yeah. It is a nice yeah. experience. It's a, it's a great thing. It's a great thing. It's, it makes it more intimate. Yeah. Which book next, sir? Lead the way. Oh, okay. Let's talk about... Um... Let's talk about wisdom. Okay. Wisdom is a supernatural Western. Ooh, and cool. uh, and cool. as, as I've been explaining to folks as I talk about this, you know, when I was a kid, and I looked this up the other day, when I was, I looked like at the TV schedule from when I was like five years old, I counted like 25, 27 shows that were on primetime television. Remember, there were only three networks that were Westerns. So for me as a kid growing up, Westerns were a huge deal. You know, um, um, I still have sitting on the shelf in my office that I got for my fourth birthday on it to God. It's a Roy Rogers action figure, Roy Rogers, you know, in his outfit on his horse, you know. So having having, you know, having uh, having a holster and a gun and a cowboy outfit, that was a big part of my childhood. Um and then, you know, years passed and I really lost interest in Westerns and there was an occasional movie like Butch Cassidy or Unforgiven or something like that would catch my interest. But most of the time, if I saw a Western on TV, I would turned the station. Um, the only other thing that came along that, that kind of rekindled that interest for me is I'm a huge fan. We must have talked about this. I'm a huge fan of old time radio, you know, the old, I mean, whether it's. Orson Welles and Jack Benny and all that old stuff. Well, in the 50s, before it was a TV show, there was a radio show called Gunsmoke. And I was driving in my car one day and and uh, satellite radio, they have an old radio station and on comes Gunsmoke, the radio show. Hmm. And it was like phenomenal. Hmm. And it was like this little seven-year-old in my head who loved Westerns went, oh my God, this is great. And I think that's what put the spark in my head. Right, right. Because one morning about, again, this, this idea has been at least 10 or 12 years ago, probably 12 or more. I woke up one morning, and this is what happens with ideas for me, and I'm laying in bed, my eyes are still closed, and this movie starts playing. Oh, this is interesting. What's this? Oh, it's a Western. Oh, let's see. Who's that guy? Oh, oh, it's a supernatural Western, you know? And I start to watch the movie, and then I have to run to my computer to write down what I've been seeing in my head. And so from that, from that beginning evolved this tale of Gabriel Wisdom, uh, who is when, well, again, it's a big story. It jumps through his life uh, back and forth over the course of like a, a decade or so. Uh, he, he was a, a pampered son of a rich family growing up in upstate New York in the 1800s. And his dream in life was to be an actor. Didn't particularly have any talent, but he had a rich father who uh, who fueled his his desires, and he put together an acting company, and he met the woman that he loved, and they traveled around till his dad died, and his, the financial empire collapsed, and so did his career as an actor. So he and his wife move on, and they go to Chicago, and he becomes a reporter for a while. But he's really more interested in making things up than he is in dealing with facts, because he's very much a dreamer. So that career collapses, and they move from Chicago, and they head west. And they end up in this town out west, um, and he starts a newspaper. And what happens at a certain point is the newspaper collapses. He and his family are ready to move even farther west, head for California. He's close, he heads out toward his home where his wife and his, his, his daughter are and finds his home in flames and these spectacle – I'm having trouble speaking English okay. today. <laughs> these spectral – 
figures galloping away these ghost-like horsemen who have set fire to his home. His wife and his daughter are apparently dead. And this begins a turn in his life. Uh, uh, to, to he, First, he becomes a really fierce and feared gunslinger known as the Fifth Horseman. And eventually, through some fantastic events, which we don't find out in the first issue, uh, he becomes essentially an Old West sorcerer. And the story becomes a sort of Old West Lord of the Rings, where he becomes the guy who has to stop this incredible dark force from poisoning the world. So, it, again, it's a really, really big story. He also finds out that his wife and daughter are actually alive and have been corrupted by this force. So it's a personal quest to redeem his wife and daughter and a big uh, cosmic quest to stop this dark force. What did you feel why – did, why did he – the background that he had for where he starts off to where he ends up, like it, it's such a, a change in his life. Was that necessary for you to, to, to have him be – from like it was because, you know, this is what we're talking about. So I have an idea for a story. Well, who are you, Gabriel Wisdom? And I start to write. I don't know when I start. And I start to write and make notes. And he begins to tell me about his life. Right. Oh, well, you know, I, I always wanted to be an actor and I came from this family. Oh, really? Oh, okay. And then I did. So it's not like I set out to say I must tell the story of his life. He's telling me the story yeah. of his life, you know? So... You know, we start in what for him is the present day in like the 1860s as when he's already wisdom. He's got this kind of traveling theater show where he goes from town to town, but it's really a front for his supernatural endeavors. He'll roll up in a town. He'll give a Shakespearean performance. He'll sing. He'll sing a song or two. He'll uh, do a magic show, you know. But really, that's the front for him seeking out. Of these enemies that he's trying to uh, that he's trying to stop. So we we start with him in in the quote current day of the 1860s, and then we jump back and forth through time, to to and we get get to learn his life story, and and the art on this book is is by Tom Mandrake, and I don't know if you're familiar with Tom's work, but Tom I first discovered when he did The Spectre with John Ostrander yes. at DC years ago. One of the great supernatural artists to ever work in comics, but Tom also is one of the great Western artists to ever work in comics. So he was just a perfect match for this story. And uh, Tom's wife, Jan Sema, who is also a wonderful artist in her own right, uh, is coloring Tom's work on this. It's just, it's just a gorgeous book. Even if you don't like the stories, I'm telling you, the art on all these books is so good. It's worth <laughs> buying just for the art. Well, that's part um, of, the, that's part of the, the, the whole sales pitch, right? Is that some people buy books just because they look pretty. And if the story right. happens to be good even better. So you've got the double whammy here, which is, and we've know. got four different amazing artists, yes. you know? So yeah. it's really, really fantastic. That um, exciting. so that, um, that's, uh, that's wisdom. Wisdom. I gave away a lot on that when I should have, well, you know, once you read it, it's all going to be new anyway. So well, I'm intrigued by it because I, I can only imagine that this guy who's basically this Clint Eastwood slash Dr. Strange amalgam. That's exactly a perfect way to put it. And how does him being an actor and growing up wealthy, how's that going to play with him being this sort of unforgiving character? Like, I want to know that part. That's what, right. That's why right. I asked and, it. I'm and like, that's part of his journey. Him? It's like, yeah. you know, from innocence to cynicism to where is he going to end up in the end? You know what I mean? Um, anyway, so so that's wisdom. And, and if you go to the Spellbound Comics website or if you follow me on Twitter 
uh, or Spellbound Comics on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the places where we are. We've been releasing art, covers, all kinds of things. Um, and and Tom Andrick's cover for Wisdom, which will probably be, will probably reveal next week. Uh, just, we just got it yesterday. It's just gorgeous, just gorgeous. That's great. Okay. So the fourth and final book is called Godsend. And um, although some people read it as God's End, Mm. Is that <laughs> on purpose? It, Did you, are you it happy? Actually, no, it really wasn't, but it works both ways. Mm-hmm. Matthew Dow Smith, who's the artist on this, kept, kept referring to it as God's end. I said, no, it's God's end. No, but it's God's end. I get, oh, you know what? It's actually both. That's very cool. <laughs> and uh, so it worked out perfectly by accident. So God's end, it, my one-liner is, uh, you know, Jack Kirby Gods meets Philip K. Dick meets uh, The Matrix. Yeah. And again, you know, these are the first chapters of very big stories. So you get that in the first issue. But when we continue it, it's just going to grow out and out and out. Godsend is one of the stories where, I mean, I have, it could be dozens of characters evolving out of this first issue. But our main character is Godsend, who appears out of nowhere, this, this, this Kirby-esque godlike character who, who shows up. No one really knows where he came from. No one really knows what his agenda is. But our, our other main character, who is a junior high school teacher named Eric Small, who is basically just an insecure little little schmo who doesn't have much of a life. He's got one close friend. He doesn't have a girlfriend. He's got a crush on this other teacher at the school. He is, he's the embodiment of all our sort of insecurity. You know, all of us, I think all humans, and, and maybe not all, but I would say most, have a part of us where we feel where all our insecurities live, where we're small, where we're weak, where we don't think we're worthy, where we don't think we have value. And Eric is sort of the embodiment of all that. And he becomes obsessed with this figure of godsend. Kind of like Richard Dreyfuss in Close Encounters of the Third Kind became obsessed with the, with the UFOs, you know? Um, and, and at a certain point, this like seven foot tall, turtle being with a man's head appears in Eric's apartment and basically takes reality as Eric understands it and completely shreds it. And that opens up the door on what the story is really, really about. And the themes are really who we think we are versus who we are, who we really are, which are things you and I have talked about many times. Um, What reality is versus what we think reality is. You know, and and it just it just cracks open the world for Eric and hopefully for the readers in a lot of interesting ways. And if you know if you're familiar with Philip K. Dick, um, that that sort of thing, where like, wait, is this wall really a wall? Right. Or can my hand go through that wall? Am I who I thought I was, or am I something completely different? Yeah. No, I I got you. And the artist is Matthew Dow Smith. Uh, uh, I've worked with him on several projects before, but they've all they've been one offs, you know. Right. So we, we've been looking for a big project to do together. And uh, Matt, Matt's great. And I was saying to somebody the other day, and it's true of all these guys, but Matt has a very unique, distinctive style that you can't mix up with anybody else's. And I love that about an artist. He's also got a great skill for faces and emotions. And you know, uh, you know, some some comic books you look at, and everybody's face is essentially the same face, you know, twisted slightly a different way. Matt makes all of these characters individuals, and you see them and you feel them through their faces, through their body language, 
And he really, I mean, Eric Small in this book becomes a three-dimensional human being, not just through the writing, but through the way that, that Matt draws him. So it's great to be working with Matt and have a story that hopefully, and again, this is another one that I see, I know where the first five-issue miniseries ends, and that in a lot of ways is just chapter one, you know? So it's a really, really big, big cosmic story. It seems like after you describing all of these stories yourself, because I read all of the synopsis for them, but it seems Mm -hmm. like you're telling one big story that needs to be done in four different places. That's how it sounds to me because they're very, they seem very you. And when, if you've read, well, if nothing else, (laughs) I mean, I know you created better or worse. They're, they're definitely me. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, some people have ideas where it's like, I want to tell a Western story. And so they, they, you know, immerse themselves in, in Western lore and reading up on it and, and trying to tell their story. But you're using these things that are from reading Brooklyn dreams, like the late sixties for you was very monumental time. So right. for any man to have that moment in 1969, which if anyone kind of knows American history, that's a, a real turning point for it's, it's interesting. You made that the nexus point for what would be this, this generation or this uh, civilization's like this is the time where everything either goes this way or that way. It's 1969. It's interesting right. that you chose that time. Well, for me, as someone who was a kid in the 60s growing up, um, it really was because uh, I, don't, I don't know if we ever talked about this, but I have very clear memories. I was in the fourth grade of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Say, you talk about a, a pivot point for humanity. Right. Um, and I clearly remember and what was I, eight or nine years old or whatever it was, President Kennedy on TV, and he gave this speech that translated into common speak was, folks, we're all going to hell in a handbasket. Hold on, you know? And I remember being that age and running into my room and praying to God. I don't know if I ever prayed before. Please don't blow up the world. And I remember walking to school the next day with my friends, and the conversation was, hey, you think the world's going to end tomorrow? Because it really seemed like we were on the edge of of complete nuclear Armageddon. And it wasn't like a maybe. It was a very possibly could be. And that we got through that is an astonishing thing. And the 60s were really like that. And really, in a lot of weird ways, the times we're living in now, although the crises are different, it parallels because there's so much, so many crisis points coming together right now, you know? Totally. Was the choice of the the superhero supposed superhero's name any man on purpose to make it seem like a double switch or you know get him to trust us but really this is what the well, any man represents there's, there's 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 two things going on one is which there's a reason for that name that you'll discover when you find the twist in the story that i'm not going to tell you okay and the other is that he presents himself to the world saying i want to represent all of you I, you know, I am the, you know, in a sense, I am the embodiment of all of you. So don't think of me as the special thing. I'm part of you. I'm all, I'm every man. I'm any man. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's the way he's presenting himself, that he's one of us. Right, right. No, I like that. And then you got with, with like the, the afterlife, the concept of discovering that, but there's these other books where like with Godsend, there's a celestial being that could take us all there cataclysmically or save us. That's there, right. There's these That's themes right. that, so in all these different universes or multiverses, you're making, there's very big crisis points or 
things that go on in our brain that we're all should be kind of thinking about that correlate like our survival as a species but then also well, how do you see heaven like where, where where will you go right when this is all done right right you know well you know the, the, the truth of the matter is every writer has the themes that obsess him or her yeah and and it doesn't matter what genre they're working in or if they've written 50 novels you know you find some guy who's written 50 novels you go through those novels you will find the same themes recurring yeah. and recurring and recurring whether you're reading dickens or dostoevsky or ray bradbury or whoever it may be yeah. um they have their themes you know and we all have our obsessions and we have the things that we think about and i was thinking about them when i was 15 and i'm thinking about them now mm-hmm. i may be thinking about them in a different way in a broader in a deeper way in a more uh all-encompassing way, but the same themes, honestly, that obsessed me then obsessed me now. Um, and you just hope that as you continue to explore these themes, they deepen, and right. that the stories deepen with them. Right. Well, you're, uh, I guess, a dreamer in the same way that Gabriel Wisdom would be, and you're you've always like been searching, especially like that Eastern philosophy sort of mystical aspect of mm-hmm. imagination. So how did how does Jam de Mateus, how do you see your heaven? What's that like for you if you could formulate what it would be? Well, I'm gonna flip it a little bit. Okay. Because I, I, I think in a lot of ways that where we are right here and right now is the afterlife, in the sense that the the afterlife is no more nor less a dream than the world that we're inhabiting right now. Yeah. That's what I really feel. Yeah. So, you know, people think, oh, then I die and I go to this place where, but that place is, is still a, a, is a projection of imagination. And this place is too. And so that ultimately heaven or hell is right here and right now with us. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we make that choice every day. You know, so many of the mystical traditions talk about the world being an illusion. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's a dream projected to look at it this way it's a dream projected from god's unconscious you know and that we we are all you know if you want to look at it from a writer's point of view god's writing the story we're all characters in the story well I'm, when i'm writing a story my characters become real to me they have individual identities they have lives i relate to them as individuals and yet what are they they're just me mm. and so my belief is that what are we we're just god we're God in disguise, walking around in this dream that God is dreaming. And why is God dreaming this dream? We're getting heavy again. Uh, my experience, you know, and I'm just speaking for me. I'm not trying to lay no, this on no, anybody. But I think my experience is when I when I've had these profound experiences. What God is more than anything else is love. And when I say love, I mean love in a capital L cosmic way that transcends human love, you know, mm-hmm. that that God is composed of nothing but love. And that this whole separation, we go into this story, we take on these individual identities in order to find our way back to who and what we really are. You can't have, uh, as Mayor Baba said, you know, you can't have union without separation. I'm paraphrasing. So, you know, the great yes. separation is that I think I'm an individual. I don't realize I'm the universe. I'm, I'm the whole ball of wax is in here. I am. And so are you. And this idea that, you know, oh, there's Eric. There's me. We're two separate beings is actually an illusion. There's only one. There's a line that Mayor Baba had. And I'm going to I'm going to mangle it, but I'll get the, I'll get the, the essence of it. To say that we are one, I'm completely mangling it, but the essence is right, is wrong because even the collective term of we is wrong because there is no we, there's only one. Yeah, yeah. 
And, I and think- the flip side is, I love the idea that this is just an illusion and just a dream because as a writer, what do I do? I play in imagination all the time. So my philosophy is, you know, some people think, on the spiritual path, well, it's all just a dream, and I want to get out of this and get away from my individual identity and be one with the universe again. And, I, and my thought is like, hey, it's all a dream. Let's make this the most amazing dream we could possibly dream and take God along with us on the journey. You know what I mean? So I'm much more like, let's dive into the story and have some have some fun here, you know? I, th- I think just from the, the times we've spoken about things, I feel like... If you can imagine it, eventually it's going to be created or it, it exists somewhere. That's why you were able to imagine it. Yeah, it yeah. brings you know, it they're, into they're... existence, even if it's completely fake. Because you watch Star Trek from 1960s, and when they talk out to a computer and it responds back to them, you would never think that's possible. But it may not right. have ever been unless the imagination of the creator put it there. Because then right. you said, let's make that real. Right. That, yeah. That's that, that's that's very true. That's very very true. It's it's it's, the, it's a projection, uh, you know. And and I've I, you know I've read this in mystical traditions, and I've read this when I've read books on quantum physics. This theory. I mean, that's the essence of quantum physics that mind creates the universe. You know that that there is. I can't remember the phrase. The implicate order. It's called. But it's basically the the whole universe is just energy. Right, and, this, and the thing, we, we talk we talk about non-local. You know, there there is no there is no locality. You're not there, and I'm here. There's no distance. There's nothing but this energy. It's kind of what we were talking about before, and that we project onto that energy. And the, one of the things I read, I was in a book on quantum physics, and I've read it also in a mystical book. Uh, the idea that whatever we imagine takes form someplace on another plane somewhere. Mm. So I love that idea just as a writer. L. Frank Baum dreamed up Oz. Well, that means that somewhere vibrating on some other dimensional plane, from because of his imagination and because we've all bought into that mythology, Oz exists somewhere, you know? Right. And I, when, I, when, I, when I was writing about Azad, which was sort of my own Oz-like story that Mike Pluck and I did a while back, one of the things I explored was, you know, are we creating Abadazad or is Abadazad creating us, you know? Who's dreaming who? Is the big question, mm, yes. you know, and and I encounter that with my with my characters. You know, I I probably told you the story of when I was writing about Azad. I had this whole this whole issue plotted out. I start to write, and this, this I type the name of a character I've never heard of before. I had all my characters worked out. Who is this person whose name I just typed? And I'm trying to write my story, and this character I've never heard of is forcing his way into the story. And until I allowed that character into the character I'd never heard of before I typed his name, before I allowed him into the story, uh, the story fell apart. As soon as I put him in the story, the story came together. Hmm. Well, I can say I created that character, but it really felt like that character came from someplace else. Yeah. To you know, because he. I didn't realize he was part of the story. So did I dream him? Did he dream his way into my dream? And that's one of the amazing things about being a writer, whether you talk about it as if it's the unconscious mind that's doing it or something bigger beyond the unconscious mind. And I think the unconscious is the doorway into that bigger thing, you know? But it's just an amazing thing, what the imagination, the unconscious, and when they work together, um, you know, to create a story, well, you're, are you creating a story or are we doing the same process and creating the story of our lives that way? Yeah. What is the um, influence for you, just a person who can close their eyes and visualize the whole world come together, but 
What influence do your dreams have on you? How much stock do you put in what you dream about? That's an interesting question. You know, sometimes, it, you know, I think they all have meaning, but sometimes they're just nonsense. Hmm. And other, other times, <laughs> at least they, they seem like nonsense, but you could probably sit down. You know, if you ever go through, I've, went, I've gone through periods where, I, where I've written down all my dreams. And when you write them down and you begin to see patterns emerge, what, what seems like nonsense becomes, same things with stories, right? It's a story, your unconscious is telling you a story. And then these themes emerge. Um, you know, I was uh, talking to my wife and I had a dream, a, a dream last night and I realized, oh, it's very much my unconscious talking about what's going on in my life right now, certain stresses and things like that. And sometimes it's clear as a bell what the dreams are. And sometimes you really, really have to work at it to figure out what they are. And I think sometimes it's beyond what we can understand. But the other thing that I love is the concept of uh, lucid dreaming, mm-hmm. uh, which I've read, I've read about. And I've only had one, maybe two lucid dreams in my life. And I, you know, I, I would love to have more because the idea is, you know, that, and people do it when you realize in the middle of the dream that it's a dream, it changes the energy completely. And you take command of the dream. You get to play with the dream and make it be mm-hmm. what you want it to be. And one of the reasons I like the concept of lucid dreaming is, is because I think that's what our paths are in this life to realize that it's a dream to be awake and aware within the dream, and then what are you going to make of this dream while you're here? And just like in a dream, your life can flip in a day. Yes, yes, right. absolutely. Some, I, I, you know, I remember the first lucid dream I had, um, and and they say that one of the one of the one of the keys to lucid dreaming is is has to do with reading something in a dream. And I don't remember. I think I was in a museum, and I'm walking through this museum, and I come to a plaque, and I start to read the plaque. And all of a sudden, the voice in my head said, this is a dream. Hmm. I'm dreaming, and I can do anything. I can fly. And I started to lift up out of my body. But the energy was so incredibly powerful that, damn it, it woke me up. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Uh, I would have loved to have stayed there and like flown off and seen where it led me. But it, and, and, I, and I took those words and I wrote them down and I have them up on my office, uh, in my office. This is a dream. I'm dreaming and I can do anything. I can fly. Because I think that's the way we have to approach our lives, you know? That's a good, that's a good way to think of it. Yeah. It, yeah. And I don't think, I think sometimes we get lost in, I guess, what feels like the unfair nightmare of yes. life and you don't see yes. the the dream quality of it if you realize I'm in control. Right. And a, and you know and 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 I'm not claiming that I have control and I can think no. what I want and make like but I'm just saying just the knowledge that that's the way the game is played really right. really helps. Yes. Just like the knowledge that there's nothing in this universe but love and there's nothing we can do more that's more important than to treat each other with kindness and compassion because that is despite the fact that the outer flow of this dream seems crazy sometimes and really dark that that i call that the skin of the world you know when you peel off the skin of the world what's left is love mm-hmm. kindness compassion that's not just what connects us that is literally what we are Right. You know, so so and maybe so I have a revelation and I feel that and I'm in it and I'm doing it. And then that passes and I'm the same schmo I was the day before, you know, and I'm yeah. struggling with all the same crap that we're all struggling with. And I'm angry or depressed or whatever's going on in my life. But I've had that experience and I know and I know I can at the very least aim my life in that direction because I know that it's true. Right. Right. So going back to that uh, comment you made about um all of us being 
a god in a way. Mm -hmm. Some people would say that that's a dangerous way of thinking, right? That's what led to the uh, original sin, if you will, people wanting to be God. But do you think if more people thought of themselves as godly or, or gods in a way, they would make better choices? Like they would think about... Maybe, you know, I, I, to, to say you think of yourself as a God is very different than just say that we are all God. Right, right. Because right. it's all equal. It's not right. like I am God. That's right. No, you are God and, and the ant on the floor is God. And yes, even Donald Trump is God, <laughs> if we could just see it. You know what I mean? So that it's it's actually a great leveler. It puts us all together. You know, right. we are all in this in this one soup together as one. You know, so I don't think that's dangerous because all that does to me is encourages connection and love and kindness and compassion. I'm not walking around going, "I'm God." <laughs> you know what I mean? No, no. Well, I think what I what I was because that's the danger, right? Is some people think they are, whereas when people right. realize that they are a part of. They, they may treat people the way they would want God to treat people, like with, right. either with the kindness, right. with the forgiveness, with the love, with the understanding, whereas other people can flip it and be like, I could do whatever I want. Right. Well, that's if you think I'm God and you're not. Right. Right. And that isn't, that isn't divinity. That's arrogance. And, you know, the message of all of the beings, the avatars, the saints isn't I'm God and you're not. It's, you know, uh, the message is, I, I am conscious and I am aware that I am God and we are one. And I've come here to help take that veil away from you and help you to know it too. Yeah. And not like I'm God and you're not. Come and worship me, you know? Sure. Uh, yeah, I think, I think there's, for it to really work, there has to be a, a, a lot of humility wrapped around it. And I think sometimes yes. people, when they get that enlightenment... They start saying, "Well, if if you do this, this, and this, and if you're if you are as you know holy as I am, you'll see it." But it's reminding you that you, you can't become suddenly the new Buddha or the new Jesus. That's not what it's about. It's a matter right, of being humble. Right. And, and and those beings are out there, you know. Yeah. Um, but but um, you know there are as many paths. As, it's kind of what we were talking about with the afterlife. There are as many paths as there are souls. You know, I found my path. That doesn't mean that's the path for you. You know, for someone, it might. You know, their path might be just going to church every Sunday, and that's their path. For me, it's it's you know, it, it's Meher Baba. You know, talking about we talk about the, the the humbling thing. So in Hinduism, there's a wonderful thing, uh, and, and I've, I've experienced it personally, where they say any visitor to my home is treated as if they are God has come to visit because they see the God in everyone. So I had an experience in India years ago. We went to stay with friends of friends, this wonderful Hindu family in uh, in New Delhi. And, and they had never met us before. They welcomed us into their home because their daughter was friends with my niece. And they said, when your uncle comes to India, he must come and see us, right? These people welcomed us into our home and treated us just that way. They treated us as if we were their nearest and dearest, you know? And and it was a beautiful example of, you know, there's, there's uh, you know, when people say namaste, that essentially means I honor the God within you. And we should, that, that, you know, like I said, I am no expert and I fail as much as I succeed. Maybe I fail more. But just to, to keep that in mind, that we want to honor the God within each and every one of us, you know, right. is, is a really, just to have that thought in our heads right. is revolutionary. 
Yes. You know? So, yeah, like I said, tomorrow I could be the biggest jerk on the planet and say the dumbest thing and hurt your feelings and go home and feel guilty and then crawl over and apologize, you know, because <laughs> I'm human and you're human. And part of the game that we're here is because we're human. We wouldn't be here. You know, we're here to play at being human. Yeah. But to, to hold that in our in our minds and hearts, you know, that connection that we're all we are all part of the same stuff, you know, right, right. Let's, so, um, um, let's, before we wrap up, I want to just go over the Kickstarter yes. point to launch and all the packages or the options that people have to, that they want to back. Why don't you run so, that by us? Okay. So the, the rewards will be, will be up when the Kickstarter kicks. Okay. <laughs> we, we launch, uh, uh, Tuesday, which is uh, October 11th at noon Eastern time. Okay. Uh, so please, you know, it, it's an old cliche. Uh, we can't do it without you, but we literally can't do it without you. This is, you know, when it comes to Kickstarter, we can't do it without you. Right. If you're someone who does not like Kickstarters for whatever reason, you can go to spellboundcomics.com. You can buy the individual books or all of them there. Um, and, and but, you know, like I said, if you, if you buy them all, you get to vote and decide which one's coming next. And it's just really, really exciting. And it's really, really fun to be working with these amazing artists, uh, mm-hmm. to working with my friend David Baldy, who's just working his ass off on this project. He's working so hard putting this together. Um, it's, 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 you know, after, after doing this for so many years, it's always great. You're always looking for a new challenge and so, you know, something to excite you and reinvigorate you. And this, this multiverse project has been that. So I hope that everyone who, who, who knows my work, who enjoys my work will come along on this journey with us. That sounds great. Well, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's really exciting. I can't wait to see it. Um, I, I never want you to stop dreaming all of these different stories to give us. It's, it's really exciting. And you got more stuff coming through Marvel as well, which is... Yeah, we got uh, uh, Spider-Man The Lost Hunt will be out in November. Great. Yeah, yeah. It's a five-issue miniseries uh, tying into Craven's Last Hunt, but in a different kind of sideways way. That's cool. <laughs> Very exciting. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming back to the show and giving us more of your time to, to talk about what you're working on, but always to get a little philosophical. It's It's good for the soul. I like it. Yeah, you know, I, I always feel uh, I, I always feel free to, to to do those deep dives with you because you've given me permission to go there. You know, and I and I've read a couple of a couple of those books that you recommended. I'm just wrapping up Franny and Zooey. Um, I did Siddhartha. Next is Lost Horizon. Oh, you did Siddhartha. Okay, yes. great. Oh, you haven't gotten to the end of Franny and Zooey. I haven't gotten to the you, end. The book doesn't kick in till the very. I mean, it's a great book, but when you get to the end, the entirety of the book, in a lot of ways, is in the end. Yeah, and and it's the journey of going into it, just the conversations they have and some of the uh, frustrations that these characters have within themselves. I find myself really relating to them, and it's very, it's a good reminder to kind of like reflect on how smart you think you actually are sometimes. Right, Both right, with Siddhartha right. and those characters, I found that. Well, very- let me know what you think when you get to the end of the book, because yes. the end of the book is, is there's such a kicker at the end, uh, and you'll you'll know it when you get to it. Sounds good. I will. I'll definitely uh, get in touch with you. Thank you so much. All right. My pleasure. Always a pleasure. Great right. to talk to you. All right, everybody. Uh, make sure you back the Kickstarter launching August 11th. This episode will be up on that day, so this should work out fine for that. Uh, rate and review the show, and stay tuned for more episodes. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Mr. Dimiteus, as always. Thank <laughs> you.